Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Baseball season finally is here, and there's nothing quite like the thrill of cheering on your favorite team surrounded by other passionate fans, and there's no better place to do that than at Walters Sports Bar, located just across the street from Nationals Park with a wide selection of beers, cocktails, and comfort food. Walters is the perfect spot to grab a drink and hang out with friends before and after Nats games. For opening day, Walters is opening at 10 a.m., so that you can get a head start on the fun. Even better, if you head over to waltersdc.com slash events, you can sign up to get $5 of free beer from Walters' legendary beer wall. So join us at Walters, and let's kick off this baseball season with a bang. We can't wait to see all the fans we haven't seen since last year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking ball, hit in the air to deep left center field. This one is way back there, giving Chase Kaperniak to the track at the wall, looking up, and it's gone. Victor Robles clears the wall at the 387 mark in left center with a towering two-run homer, and the Nationals lead 4-0. First round tripper of the spring for Victor Robles on a towering drive to left center field. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, March 28th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. This is the season preview edition of the Nats Chat podcast as we prepare for the 19th season of Nationals baseball since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. That happening during the 2004-2005 offseason. The Nats have one exhibition game left. It is a game at Nationals Park, Nats versus the New York Yankees at Nationals Park Tuesday afternoon at 12.05. And the Nats will begin their 2023 regular season with a three-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park, game one Thursday afternoon at 1.05. We will get to who the Nats starting pitcher for that game will be in a bit, but the Nats opening day roster is more or less set off some cuts that were made on Saturday afternoon, including, yes, the optioning of our guy, our hero, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino to AAA Rochester. Mark, I don't know if this was about trying to limit Paolo's Major League Service time or what, but why'd they have to do our guy like that so close to opening day? That was a tough one, Al. And unfortunately, I kind of felt like there was a chance it was going to happen. And it seems like Paolo also had a hunch that it might happen. This is a weird case. You don't normally think of a 36-year-old as still having minor league options, but he does because he debuted so late. And, and actually, 
from the day that they called him up in April of 2021 to replace Steven Strasburg, it was a last minute, this was kind of the beginning of the end for Strasburg, a last minute substitution. He actually had been on the big league roster the entire time, so almost two full seasons. And so because of that, he didn't use up any of his options, so he still had him left. And it's not based on performance. I think it's based on a few things, the fact that he has options and maybe some other guys don't. And ultimately, they probably could only afford to keep one long man in the bullpen, and it was going to be him or Thaddeus Ward, the Rule 5 pick. Well, in the situation they're in right now, you're going to take a chance with the Rule 5 pick, see what he's like. Doesn't mean he's going to stick around all year if something happens there, or obviously if other things go wrong. Uh, I think we will see Paolo Espino. I thought it was interesting. They're going to have him start at AAA, feeling that there's more of a need there. We know from the past two years, while he's certainly capable of it, he is better as a reliever. So it kind of speaks to the lack of starting depth in the organization that they're making that decision. But look, I shook his hand the other day in West Palm Beach. I said, we will see you soon. I think he knows that he'll be back up and they will re-release the secret weapon on the rest of the National League. Well, we spent so much of last season anticipating the call-up of Cade Cavalli. We will spend this season anticipating the recall-up of Paolo Espino. I can promise you that here on this podcast, the Nats Chat Podcast. If you've been with us for a while, great to still have you with us. If you're new to the podcast, welcome aboard. This is the only national show or podcast that is with you the morning after every Nats game day. A new installment of the podcast comes out after every Nationals game day. Mark has covered the Nats since the franchise came to D.C. I've been uh, talking Nationals and Washington, D.C. sports for two plus decades. Uh, You can get yourself a great Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. The Nats Chat Blues are available and waiting for you. Go to natschatpodcast.square.site. Also, we are welcoming with open arms uh, sponsors for the Nats Chat Podcast, including sponsors for individual episodes. If you want to get creative with uh, how and when your ad airs, email the mastermind of this podcast, Tim Shovers at natschatpodcast.com podcast at gmail.com. All right, so a lot to get to on this uh, season preview installment of the pod. I guess let's start with this. So the Nats opening day roster isn't officially official, but it is more or less said as the regular season is set to get going. Uh, The Nats on Saturday afternoon made a bunch of cuts, infielder Jeter Downs, and yes, pitcher Paolo Espino optioned to AAA Rochester. Uh, Relievers Alex Colome, Andres Machado, Willie Peralta reassigned to minor league camp. Is there anything left really to be determined or more or less is the Nats opening day roster good to go here? Well, this is a bit of a strange thing because as they announced all those cuts, I start doing the math and writing names down and I come up with 26 remaining healthy players who were in camp the other day and there are 26 players on the opening day roster. And so I said, okay, well, here we go. Is this the opening day roster? And Davey Martinez cautioned and he said, not necessarily that there are a few guys who are still in camp who have not officially been told they've made the team. And reading between the lines there, what I take away from that is they still wanted to see who else might become available, who other teams are cutting from their spring training rosters. And maybe there is a guy on the bench or a guy in the bullpen that would be a better fit for them so that they would make that move. So while there are only 26 guys and they brought them all north, for the exhibition against the Yankees. And I I feel for some of these guys, especially those who this is going to be their first ever opening day. They're not 100% guaranteed of making it. But I think barring the discovery of someone else who's out there and suddenly available, I think we have a pretty good idea here of what it's going to be. 
Well, you mentioned the word discovery, and you know you always want to be careful with spring training stats, and you don't want to fall in love in spring training. That is a very dangerous thing to do. But you know, if you can't be optimistic now, when exactly are you going to be optimistic? And a real spring training standout for the Nats ended up being this guy, Hobie Harris, a reliever, a non-roster invitee who didn't just have like you know a pretty good spring training. The guy ended up having like a dominant spring training. And, you know, you got to be careful with this. We understand that. And you got to look at who exactly he was facing. But eight appearances, 10 innings, one run allowed. ERA of 0.90, a whip of 0.50. I'm not saying he's Mariano Rivera, but, you know, we do know with relievers, you can find these guys in all kinds of ways. And sometimes a guy comes out of nowhere to end up having a pretty good season. It does appear as if Hobie Harris has made the team again with the caveat that things could change. But what about this guy? I mean, I don't think most people know who the heck he is, but he may have been the Nats' uh, best pitcher, certainly best reliever during the exhibition season. Yeah, it's funny. He was a guy that early in camp, you hear his name come up uh, once or twice and you kind of gloss over it because he's a non-roster invitee. He hadn't been in the organization. He had a locker way down in the corner. You weren't, you know, not in the center of things. So, not paying attention to him. And then as the spring goes on, you realize, wait, this guy hasn't given up a run yet. It was late in camp before he finally gave up that one run. And you start to hear more about, well, maybe he is a possibility. He has not been in the big leagues before, but he's been at AA and AAA for a few years. AAA the last two seasons, 2021 with the Blue Jays, 2022 with the Brewers. And he's got some pretty good numbers. Last year, 53 appearances in Nashville, 2.04 ERA. 1.075 whip and 9.5 strikeouts per nine. His issue has been walks. He doesn't give up a lot of hits, but he has issued more than four walks per nine innings, but wasn't so much an issue for him this spring. He's not a blow you away guy. It's not like you're going to see, oh, wow, this guy's got an incredible arm, but he just got out all spring. He's 29 years old, so he's not a kid, been around the block for a little while. Certainly looks like he is going to make the opening day roster, and we're going to find out. And I think what'll be interesting is would they use him in any kind of situation of high leverage, or do they need to have sort of a soft launch here and let him pitch in you know games that are more lopsided, see how it goes, and then ease his way in? That would be my guess based on the way Davey Martinez typically does this. But if he keeps having success, you could see him maybe moving his way in and give him a shot in a more prominent spot. I think in the larger picture here, a pleasant surprise in some ways in these final decisions, instead of going with some established veterans with track records who didn't necessarily have a good spring, but they do have track records, they're going with some inexperience here, guys who did have good springs and maybe guys who could have a future with them. And I'm sure a lot of people feel this way for where they are right now as an organization, why not? Take a shot. Maybe this guy is the next Kyle Finnegan and turns into something. Remember, Finnegan had never been in the big leagues before they picked him up. Now, maybe it doesn't work out. We've certainly seen them take a flyer on other guys in recent years, and they're around for a month or two, and then you forget they ever existed. But he earned his way onto the team the way that he pitched this spring. And I think in some ways, it's encouraging to see that that was rewarded. Doesn't mean it's going to translate into the regular season, but Like, what else was he supposed to do if he supposedly comes to camp with a chance to make the team? He did everything he could to make the team. Hobie Harris drafted by the Yankees in the 31st round of the 2015 MLB draft out of the University of Pittsburgh. As Mark said, 29. This will be his age 30 season. 
have the Nats not led the planet in 30-something-year-old rookies or 30-something-year-old guys with like minimal major league service time in recent years? It really is something, but uh, good for Hobie Harris for having himself a good exhibition season. It would appear that the Nats' bullpen to begin the regular season is as follows. Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, Erasmo Ramirez, Thaddeus Ward, Mason Thompson, Anthony Bonda, and Hobie Harris. Have you heard anything about Tanner Rainey? Do they think he'll be pitching, say, midseason at some point this season, or is all of that up in the air? Mid to late season is the feeling. Yeah, he was there all spring. He is playing catch, but not off a mound yet. That's not something that would happen. Everything's been on schedule so far in the recovery from Tommy John. He's kind of targeting all-star break or August 1st for a return. As we know, they may be a little more cautious with that. But the hope would be, if everything goes according to plan, that we will see him before the season is over. And yeah, I mean, that's a guy we sort of tend to forget about because he wasn't around second half of last year and obviously isn't going to be a part of this year for quite a while, but he's still relatively young under team control. And we know that when he's healthy, can be really effective and has an electric arm. So, you know, I'm really curious to see what happens with this bullpen. We know it was a strength for them last year, an unexpected strength. We know most of them are back. We feel like there's some real depth there. I mean, they cut some guys who you thought maybe would have made a bullpen in previous years. But do you really know for certain what any of these guys are going to be? There could be some massive regression here from some of these guys. There's some injury risk with like Hunter Harvey. I don't know. I am very interested to see what this turns out to be. I think it's the biggest unknown. It could either be a real strength for them again, or it could go the complete opposite direction, in which case they could be in serious trouble because on a team like this that doesn't score a lot of runs, we know the rotation issues. The bullpen was kind of the thing that held it all together last year. If that's not the case again this year, they could be in real trouble. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to be optimistic about things for the Nats this season, you know, I think it's very difficult to be realistically optimistic about the batting because I don't know where the power is going to come from. I think it's very difficult to be realistically optimistic about the starting pitching, but I think you can have hope for two things, the defense and the bullpen. I think the defense could end up being decent, if not good, you know, maybe even like a real strength. And, you know, the bullpen, we know how these relievers are year to year, but the bullpen last year in a lot of ways was, you know, pretty good. And that was kind of one of the ironies of last year that, you know, the Nats for all of their good seasons had bad bullpens. The Nats in one of their worst seasons had, you know, halfway decent bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, I think those would be two things to look at and say, all right, you know, maybe there is some hope with those items. The one, two. Swing a number off the end of the bat up the first baseline. It's fair, fielded behind the bag by Smith. Underhands to Harris in time for the out. Well, some more weak swings against that Harris splitter. And he retires the Tigers in order and on a total of 10 pitches. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. 
like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1-2 from the lefty is swung out and missed. A big cut in the slider, and Corbin gets the strikeout to finish the inning. Corbin allows a hit, but strands the runner at first. Nationals 1, Mets 1. With the Nationals starting pitching. So we knew that this was likely, but it didn't become official until Friday. Patrick Corbin being the Nationals' opening day starter. And, you know, I think you have to start by saying this isn't like some crime against humanity that Patrick Corbin is a Nationals opening game starter. I mean, the debate really came down to Corbin and Josiah Gray, each of whom had an ERA over five last season. So, like, let's go ahead and put this in its proper context. But, you know, this does kind of come off like something from, you know, the Onion or the Babylon Bee that Patrick Corbin off back-to-back horrendous seasons, off having been, statistically speaking, the worst starting pitcher in the majors over the last two years, is going to be the Nats' opening game starter for a second consecutive year. Before we sort of get into this, what is the rationale? What is the thinking behind the Nats going with Corbin as their opening game starter? The rationale is, I think it's multiple reasons. It is veteran status. It is, you know, they won't say it, but yeah, he has the contract that the other guys don't have. But I think more than anything, look, this is not a declaration by Davey Martinez or Mike Rizzo or anybody else with the organization that they believe Patrick Corbin is their best pitcher or that he will be their best pitcher this year. It is an acknowledgement that the guys they do believe in, particularly Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray, are still unproven. They're young and they're going to probably treat them with some kid gloves along the way. You can like that or you can not like that, but that's the way it's going to be, certainly early on until they start to establish themselves a little more. So why, you know, if Corbin gets lit up on opening day, as 
frustrating and as annoying as that will be to everyone. Is there any fear of that? Well, that's going to ruin everything or that's going to destroy his season. No, it's just kind of who he is. If Josiah Gray got lit up on opening day after having a great spring, by the way, now all of a sudden these doubts are creeping in your mind like, oh boy, maybe he wasn't ready for that. Or Mackenzie Gore literally has not made a start for the Nationals yet. Remember, he was hurt at the end of last season. So are you going to put him out there in his debut? This isn't Max Scherzer making his debut for the Nationals. It's Mackenzie Gore. Okay, So that's the thought process behind it. On paper, it's not a great look. Obviously, 19 losses and a 6.3 ERA as your opening day starter. But I think they really do view it as this is one game. He's done it before. If he struggles on Thursday, it's not because the moment was too big for him. It's just because he's not that good of a pitcher and he's facing a really good lineup. Whereas the other guys, you could see the emotions of it maybe being a little too much for them. And they just don't want to put that on Josiah Gray or Mackenzie Gore's shoulders right now. And maybe they would do fine with it. But I think the feeling was, why add pressure to a situation that doesn't have to have that included? To what extent does merit matter, though? You know what I mean? Corbin, I mean, we're not trying to beat up on the guy, but he's been atrocious the last two years. I mean, I think people need to understand this about Corbin's 2022 season. ERA a 631, whip a 170. Those stats would have been the worst among qualified pitchers in the majors, but he didn't qualify. He threw too few innings, even though he made 31 starts and gave up a major league worst 107 earned runs and gave up a major league worst 210 hits. So he led the majors in earned runs allowed and hits allowed, but he didn't qualify for the ERA and whip leaderboards. He was that bad this past year. You just said it. Josiah Gray had an excellent exhibition season. And like I said, Gray is not coming off a very good season, but at least he's young. At least there's upside. We know the state of the Nats. It is a rebuilding state. It is a state in which you want to embrace youth and upside and promise. And especially off Corbin, you know, having had a mediocre at best exhibition season, why wouldn't you just say, hey, Josiah, you get game one and Corbin gets game two? Like, and again, this isn't like a huge deal. I'm not trying to make it a, a huge deal, but boy, like at some point, doesn't merit matter? Like, doesn't it matter that Corbin has been this bad and great was this good this exhibition season? And maybe all things considered, you change plans and you go with Josiah Gray on opening day? Well, all right. So two points to that. One is that early on, the order of guys in their spring training rotation was Corbin first and Gore uh, and Gray second, sorry, and Gore third. Yeah, Josiah had the dominant spring, but you get to a certain point when you finally realize, wow, this guy's look great? Are you going to flip-flop them and disrupt the order that, you know, the schedule that they're on where they set these things a little farther out in advance? But I think bigger than that, I think Josiah Gray, and it's not his fault, and it's not necessarily the Nationals' fault, but they just sort of had to. He had a lot on his shoulders last year. He was propped up as like the face of this rebuild, certainly from a pitching perspective. Because of the trade he was acquired in, because of the lack of other young pitchers that they could even point to. And we saw what the results were. There's potential there, no doubt. When he's good, he's really good. But when he was bad, he was really, really bad. You talk about having, you know, Corbin's bad numbers. Well, Josiah Gray led the majors in home runs allowed and led the National League in walks issued. So are you going to reward that with the opening day start? But I feel like there's a significant difference this year with Kate Cavalli and Mackenzie Gore. And I understand that Cavalli is now out for the year. But the pressure was sort of off. The attention was kind of off 
of Josiah Gray. He's not necessarily the face of their pitching staff right now moving forward. And I think that can be good for him. He can just go out, figure out what he needs to do and pitch. And he pitched exceptionally well this spring. Is he a future ace? Probably not. I think even most optimistic people would say he's a number two or number three starter in the long run, which is fine. You need that. But I think there's a calculated effort or whether it was intentional or not, an understanding that he had a lot on his shoulders last year, maybe unfairly so, and there would be less of that on him this year, and that could be good for him and then ultimately the organization in the long run. Josiah Gray, this exhibition season, five starts, 16 and a third innings. ERA is 0.55, a whip of 0.92. I mean, he really did do a good job. What it means for the regular season, who knows? But it was good to see that. You know, you could argue this a lot of different ways. The other thing, too, I would say is this fear of, you know, what if Gray gets lit up on opening day? Well, what if he does well? Like, think about how uplifting that would be. Opening day, big win over the Braves, and a young pitcher, Josiah Gray, went out there and pitched well. I I know we've been conditioned to frame everything in, like, the worst possible scenario, but what if the better possible scenario ends up happening? So, just something to think about. In terms of the order of the rest of the rotation, I know that hasn't been, like, officially proclaimed, but uh, what are you sensing on that? It appears to be Josiah Gray in Game 2, Gore in Game 3, Trevor Williams in Game 4, and then... Chad Cool, the new number five starter, number five. We don't know yet because of an off day, they could have Corbin come back and pitch game five and then Cool pitch game six. We're still waiting to see how that's going to shake out. There's even a scenario, maybe less likely now, given the cuts they made, where because they don't need a fifth starter and because Cool's on a minor league contract where they could use that spot on an extra reliever for the first five days of the season and then make that move and call Cool up, that maybe they could do that, but doesn't seem like that's where it's going with it. A couple of points here. Do you know the last time Patrick Corbin beat the Braves? I would guess a while ago. It would be August of 2019. He's made nine starts against them in the last three years, and it's gone 0-8 with an ERA over seven. So not the best matchup for your opening day starter. And and, uh, Josiah Gray, I'm going to keep doing this all year because their last names both start with G and are short. Josiah Gray has had a couple of double-digit strikeout games against the Braves. So matchup-wise, maybe there is something to be said for that. Last point on Josiah, and a reason why I do think what we saw this spring could translate to the regular season. I told you his biggest issues last year, the home runs and walks. Well, this spring, two walks, no homers allowed in, uh, I think, 16 and two-thirds innings. That's a great sign. Doesn't guarantee anything. And there's other conditions in spring training. I don't think he's going to lead the league in you know, fewest homers allowed now. But there's a distinct difference there. He recognized it. He feels really good about where he is right now. Let's see. Let's assume he pitches Saturday. Let's see how he does against that same Braves lineup. If he can just cut down on the homers, that is a giant step forward. Like that and nothing else is a giant step forward for him this season. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now. And there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of. Zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and 
Tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. And you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, zero interest for five years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now the pitch. Swing and a line drive. That's going to be a base hit down the right field line into the corner. Thomas around third. He will score. Smith to third being held up. Into second is Dickerson stopping there with an RBI double tying this game. Lane Thomas across home plate with the first run of the night for the Nationals on a double into the right field corner for Corey Dickerson driving in his third run of the spring. So the Nationals position players, you know, we haven't spent a ton of time on this because there really hasn't been that much to discuss and debate. And, you know, as with the rotation, it kind of feels like this has been set for a while here. I mean, you go around the diamond. We know that Kbert Ruiz is the every game catcher to, you know, whatever extent someone is an every game catcher anymore. First base will be shared by Dominic Smith and Joey Manessis. Second base is Luis Garcia's shortstop is C.J. Abrams. Third base is Jamer Candelario. And then the outfield from left to right, Corey Dickerson, Victor Robles, and Lane Thomas. How much variance is there with what I just outlined? I mean, do you think that that's going to end up being more or less than that's every game lineup this season? Yeah, I think the names are going to be the same most of the time. I think Dickerson may sit sometimes against lefties. And this is actually an interesting one because Max Fried is starting for the Braves opening day. Is there a chance we see Alex Call? In left field, Alex had an excellent spring at the plate, won the fourth outfielder's job. He's right-handed. I think it's possible. Dickerson really didn't face lefties hardly at all last season with the Cardinals, and they may look at him as a platoon player. So I think that's possible. But otherwise, I think it's going to be the same names. I think the only thing that's going to vary day-to-day is the order. And this is the first time maybe ever I can think of I go into opening day, I can't tell you what the batting order is going to be. I know the nine names. I don't know what the order is going to be. Davey was trying all kinds of different stuff over the last week. I think Lane Thomas is going to lead off. I think maybe against the lefty that Joey Manessis would bat second. Dom Smith is going to be somewhere up there. He had a really good spring, probably the one that I was most impressed with among the regular guys. But there's a lot of different ways they can go with this. And I think this may be a case of them looking at particular matchups on a given day, and going with an order that they think makes the most sense. So I would not be surprised if there's not a very set, especially one through five or one through six. It may vary depending on who they're facing on that day. In terms of first base DH, what's going to determine Dominic Smith versus Joey Manessis and who's playing first and who's DHing? I think we have come to know you don't want either guy playing in left field. I know Joey got some time there in his return from the WBC, and uh, it was not so pretty. So I I would hope that (laughs) those guys are kept to first base in DH, but how is that going to be determined? 
I think it's Dom Smith the vast majority of the time, unless he needs a day. And this is where, you know, the DH can come in handy. And Davey talked about this. You give a guy a chance just to DH for the day, take some physical demands off of him, get his four at-bats, but stay off his feet. I could see that happening. But I think as long as Dom Smith is feeling good, he's going to be at first base most days. He's going to make a difference defensively for them. Him at first base, C.J. Abrams at shortstop, we're going to see a real difference, and it's going to help the pitching staff, I think, tremendously. Plays that should be made will be made, and some plays that maybe shouldn't be made will be made. He's going to save some errors at first base from the throws. As a left-handed first baseman, he's going to be able to throw some guys out at second base, maybe even third base charging in, things like that. I really like him as a defensive first baseman. I thought he had a very good spring. This is a guy who... I won't go too off topic here, but I could see if he has a good first half of the year, still only 27 years old, they don't have a first baseman in the pipeline anywhere. I could make a case for trying to lock him up for a few more years and have him actually be a part of the core team moving forward. Well, I thought you were going to veer into the territory of, I could see the Nats trying to trade Dom Smith. No, I'm going the opposite way. I'm doing the anti-Al Galdi method on that one. You were speaking my language there. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky with Dominic Smith because he has demonstrated the ability to hit at a high level. His 2019 and 2020 regular seasons, OPS plus a 150, which is excellent. But he has just has not been consistent enough to be a regular player. So it's like the upside is there. And when he's on, he can be really on. He just hasn't always been on. And so, you know, I just don't know if you can trust him as a batter you know, first base obviously is an offensive position. Is he consistent enough as a hitter to be your every game first baseman? The idea, what the Nationals are thinking is that he was hurt by the fact that he didn't get regular at bats in New York, that you had Pete Alonso at first base, that kind of forced him to play left field. And in the New York spotlight, the moment you struggle at all, you know, it's the end of the world. Well, lower pressure here, gets to play his favored position every day. They can afford to put him out there. There's a feeling that that comfort level is going to allow him to blossom and be his true self. Now, we'll see. You know, long way to go. But I liked the signs I saw this spring. And if there's somebody out of those veterans, the the three, you know, Dom Smith, Jamer Candelario, Corey Dickerson, my money would be on Dom Smith to be the best of them and actually make a case to be part of this thing beyond this year. He's entering his age 28 season. He was a very high draft pick. Dom Smith was taken by the New York Mets with the number 11 pick in the 2013 MLB draft. All right. Well, we know what the expectations are for the Nationals this season. If you go to VegasInsider.com, the Nationals and Oakland A's have the lowest over-under win total for the regular season at 59 and a half. Let's give some predictions here. What are you anticipating to be the Nats' final record for this uh, upcoming regular season? Thought long and hard about this one. There's part of me that thinks it could be just as ugly as it was last year. There's a part of me that thinks it wouldn't take that much for it to significantly improve. I mean, let's think about how hard it is to lose 107 games. And if you just have a little bit better pitching, I mean, their rotation last year, as we know, 597 ERA, a disaster. Okay. If they improve by a run, a full run, that's still 497, which is not good, but that's a run a game. That makes a difference in your wins and losses over a season. Between a better rotation, better defense. I have real concerns about how they're going to score runs though. I think there's a lot of three to two, two to nothing kind of games forthcoming and some concern that the bullpen won't be quite as good as it was last year. And maybe 
some games that they actually lead late are going to flip in the wrong direction. I see improvement. I'm going to go 62 and 100. And that may sound awful. I mean, it's 100 losses. It's still not good. But you know what? A seven game improvement is actually not that bad in the grand scheme of things. And to me, it's not about the one loss record. It's about, it would have been six. It's now five young guys, Ruiz, Abrams, Garcia, Gore, and Gray. If they end this season having established themselves as a part of this moving forward, then in my mind, it's a successful season. No doubt. That really is what this season is all about. I am going to go with 56 and 106, a one-game improvement from the record of last year. But what I do think will be improved by a lot more than the record is the run differential. And that, to me, was one of the real off-putting things about last season. It wasn't just that the Nats had the worst record in the majors. It was also that the Nats had the worst run differential in the majors at minus 252. We all remember the extent to which the Nats got bludgeoned, especially in games against you know the Braves and the Phillies and really the entire National League East. I would like to think that this year, the losses will be closer losses. And I know that that may sound like loser talk, and it kind of is, but that is a sign of improvement. You know, if you lose 100 plus games, but you get that run differential down and you improve on it by, say, I don't know, 50, 60 runs, whatever it might be, I think that's good. I think that's actually a big step forward. And I do think that defensively, the Nats could end up being quite good. Like, I think it's possible the Nats finish the season, say, upper half of the majors in defensive run save. They haven't done that in a really long time. I think they could do that this year. You think about Ruiz and Garcia and Abrams and Robles, Lane Thomas as a corner outfielder versus a center fielder. You just talked about Dom Smith at first base. Condelario can play a decent third base. Like This can actually be a pretty good team defensively. So I'm excited for the team in that regard. And you know, I know we joke about this a lot, but In addition to the younger players, I think it does matter that some viable trade chips emerge for the Nets. They need to continue to add to the farm system as best they can. And look, I mean, I'm not saying that Dom Smith or Jamer Condelario is going to net you some big time prospect, but it's really important as this rebuild continues that the Nets continue to add to the inventory. And they really weren't able to do that last year beyond, of course, the big Juan Soto trade. They've traded away all the trade chips like they need more trade chips as this rebuild continues. It was very encouraging to see the rise of the Nationals' farm system. This came out last week. MLB Pipeline came out with its preseason ranking of the top 30 farm systems in baseball. The Nationals are up to number 10. So progress is being made. Now, the progress has to do with cashing in the chip of Juan Soto as opposed to like, you know, the drafting all of a sudden is a whole lot better. But you've got a top 10 farm system now. So let's keep adding to that. I I hope there's a way that the Nats can do that this season. I don't know how likely that is. You know, maybe some relievers catch fire and you can parlay those guys into prospects, but I think it's important that the Nats figure out a way to add to that prospect inventory. Yeah, I think reliever might have to be the way to go with it. They do not have that Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner chip at their disposal this time around. And, you know, if Jamar Candelario has a great season or Corey Dickerson does, maybe you get something. But I think Something I really learned the last two years, and I think this has changed in baseball, wasn't that long ago that you could flip a closer or a decent everyday position player for like multiple top prospects. And teams' mindsets have changed about that dramatically. They value high prospects way more than they ever used to. And so the Matt Caps for Wilson Ramos trades, it's very hard to pull those off anymore. So I'm not super optimistic about them getting a big blue chip prospect that way. But they are going to get 
at least one we know, because they've got the number two pick in the draft this year. And the early buzz on this is that there are four or five big time players in college baseball right now that they're going to be in the mix for. And as a college player, potentially, that's somebody who could be on a fast track to the big league. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as we get to the summer. But I think that's going to be their biggest acquisition this year, the number two draft pick. Going to be very interesting to see if anything emerges regarding the sale of the Nationals as the season goes on. We, of course, haven't really had that discussion lately because there hasn't been much of anything to discuss. Going to be interesting to see what kind of crowds we get at Nationals Park this season now that the rebuild is in full effect. And, uh, you know, there is no more Juan Soto, say, to draw people to the ballpark And of course, we do have the new rules of MLB. And, uh, you know, I've I've enjoyed how after every Nats exhibition game, you've tweeted not just the final score, but the time of the game. And the times have all consistently been, you know, two hours and change. And I know these are exhibition games, but even if you do the compare and contrast this year's exhibition games to previous season's exhibition games, the times are down. I mean, do you think that we are in for like a revolutionary occurrence here that Major League Baseball games are going to be down to well below three hours per game? I think two and a half hours is going to be the new standard, the new three hours. It seems like it's that dramatic unless, and this is the one thing we don't know, spring training, it felt like the late innings of spring training games just flew by. Now, again, nothing really at stake. All of a sudden now games are meaningful reliever comes in, you have a big at bat late in the game, maybe they find ways to stretch that out a little bit. I actually have a fear that some of those big moments late in games are going to get rushed because of the clock and it may hurt the product in some ways. There are going to be adjustments, I'm sure, along the way. The first week or two, put it out there right now, some game is going to be decided by a strike three or a ball four call because of a clock violation. Everybody's going to get furious over it. I do believe that after a few weeks, everybody's going to be adjusted and we won't even be paying that much attention to it. But the time of game will be noticeable. I would not be surprised if we regularly are seeing two hours and 30 minutes. And on a team like the Nationals that may not score a lot of runs, it could be even less than that. Yes, but (laughs) the Nats may give up a lot of runs. So that's kind of the concern. But if the defense is better, then maybe just maybe that Nats run prevention is what we want it to be. Well, it's great to have you with us here for season number 19 of Nationals Baseball in Washington, D.C. and season number three of this podcast. You tell us what you think. You can uh, tweet us at the Nats Chat Podcast. It's Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram too, at natschatpodcast. And you can get yourself or someone who you know, a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. And uh, Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. Also, Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPN Richmond.com all over the world. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Happy national season. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Oh, my goodness. Ben? I've seen some long home runs, but that's got to be up there. (laughs) Dylan Cruz. I mean, I don't know how many words we can use to describe this.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.